cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 3rd of June 2009. For newcomers to the show, you can look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Now, amazingly enough, after all the complaints that people sent to Yahoo, they've resolved the problem, which they couldn't explain. However, supposedly it's resolved for the moment, but I still suggest that people look through all my other sites. Remember, you can go through the com website and there you'll see all the other sites i have and choose a site to download from they all carry the shows the archives and so on that will spread the spread the bandwidth across all the different servers and give them less reason to play games with us here so go into cutting and download as many of the shows as you wish because as i say history is made at the time and it's lost very easily uh, when shows are simply pulled off the internet. And it's all coming down bit by bit as the world authority takes control of the entire internet structure. They've got the people hooked on it now and they hope to start to implement their policies of control and keep the people now hooked on it. And eventually you'll get regular media taking over as the cloud system comes in and they'll transfer most people over quite happily uh, without even noticing really and, and they're in the process of doing that at the moment, in fact, because the first dibs, first big picks for the big band with space, etc., for the new system goes to the big regular media. That's all been decided. And you can also, too, if anything happens to my other sites, go into alanwattsentinel.eu, because you can also have the same audios to download, plus transcripts written in the various languages of Europe for print-up. That's a good idea, too. Always keep that in mind. Those who keep me going, there's not too many people do keep me going here. Thousands and thousands listen, but it's like regular media. They turn you on, and there you are. And it, that's all as far as they think about it, really. I don't take any offers from advertisers to pay me. Most people do. That's what uh, Patriot Radio runs on. But the advertising you hear on this show goes to pay for the show. It pays for the satellite broadcasting. It pays for the technicians and equipment, etc., that RBN needs to keep going themselves. So you, the people, keep me going. It's up to you to, to maintain that. If you liked what you're hearing, you can send donations on my site through PayPal, or you can send personal check within Canada and the U.S. to me. And those who simply want to write to me, you can write to me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Esther, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, number 1, P3E4N1. And we'll see, as I say, what happens with uh, the next attack. I already know that I have higher agencies 
dealing with Homeland Security, uh, uh, snooping into my affairs as well. I've had some notification from one of them. And you'd understand that the big system for the Internet, for instance, to do with ICANN, ICANN itself was set up by Homeland Security. It's still run by the NSA for the whole world. The NSA is not national, it's international. It always was. And right now they're snooping around, not only to, to me, in fact, but to people I know, and even to those that help me do what I'm doing here by sending me stuff, etc., inquiring about me. So if they, if they can't get a legal way, they'll find some other way to get at you. So I always expect the worst and carry on regardless. Back in a moment after this break. very, very old. It's where all your reality comes from. And it's done through intergenerational training and conditioning from birth by people who understand these sciences going along a policy set out a long time ago to bring in a world socialist system. A system that really was mentioned thousands of years, years ago by Plato in his Republic and taken up in the 1700s by the burgeoning eugenics groups that really came to the fore later with Darwin. And out of Darwinism came, along with Darwinism, in fact, a good friend of Darwin was Karl Marx, uh, because, in fact, Karl Marx dedicated his fourth or fifth edition to Darwin because he said that validated the whole concept of socialism or communism depends which word you want to take socialism is a slower process to get into communism where government itself takes over all all affairs of humanity including the economic system but they, they also had it written into their manifestos that there would be a super wealthy elite a guardian class uh, that would bring up people to be winners to join them allow them up there, bring them up, help them up, in fact. And they would be a, a, a form of samurai class, according to H.G. Wells, who belonged to the Fabian Society, and George Bernard Shaw, who wrote Man and Superman. The Nazi regime basically picked up on all of this and ran with it, and so did the communists or the Soviets in Russia, believing that man was an animal that could be trained intergenerationally into a higher being, uh, perfected being something that the scientists and the social behavioral psychologists and specialists would, would shape. And along the way, this, in a system where they give us uh, a wrestling match, that's what really politics is, a wrestling match we must believe in between this party and that party. And in democracy, of course, you don't really vote a new party in. You vote the last party out. You're so sick of them. That's why we keep doing it, you see. And we never see beyond that because the same agenda carries on regardless of who appears to be in power. And I say appears to be in power because everyone goes in with a mandate from a master. And you're never told who the master happens to be, but you can certainly find out when the same policies have been prattled on about from the big foundations and their leaders for many years before the new politician comes along and spouts off the same stuff. That tells you who his master is. 
are, you see. It was no different from Tony Blair or Mr. Brown. This is the complete Fabian society. It's the controlled society, the managed society, which does believe in eugenics. It does believe in depopulation. It does believe in the eradication and sterilization of what they call the unfit. Believe it or not, you have to read all their books to find this out. It's all through all their writings. George Bernard Shaw, who was a co-founder of the Fabian Society, and remember, it was to infiltrate government slowly and slowly, and then in a hundred years, that was the end of the millennium, it would take over. That was the idea. And regulate all finance, all economics, and all citizens. Bernard Shaw, in that m- movie, I have to link up there somewhere to do with the, the Soviet story, you'll see him, an old movie reel of him, saying that we, when we are in power, you, the people, will have to come to us and validate and explain why we should keep you alive. See, the whole purpose in this state is to serve the world state happily. And that's what George Baron Shaw wrote about, the man and superman, and his partner, H.G. Wells, who was trained by uh, the grandpap of the Huxleys, Sir Thomas Huxley, he was trained, picked out and trained for his career as a propagandist for them. They were also part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations. H.G. Wells wrote about that in his Modern Utopia. It's a boring, boring book to get through, but it's all in there, including, he said, we don't have to kill them all off at once, all inferior types and the defective types and those with physical hereditary disabilities. We simply sterilize them and let them die off. These are the heroes of those who created the United Nations. And that's why the United Nations Charter and all their mandates are identical with the Fabian Society and the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Once in a while, they'll get politicians who are so eager to get up there, they start to believe in their own publicity. And that's, that's, a, that's a, a no-no for anyone in the entertainment industry, and that's really what they are, uh, these politicians. They're entertainers in, the, in the, the wrestling ring for the public to boo or cheer, depending. And the media, of course, will give you the good ones or the bad ones. And once in a while, they'll pick someone who's a willing fool, lots of ambition, greed, etc. Bring them to the top, get them to put in a lot of very unpopular laws, and then throw them to the wolves. Before they throw them to the wolves, they'll they'll make it up in the papers to show you what they're really into. Now, they could pick any politician and clean up a closet and put it on public view, but they don't. So you know when they do it for one person, this person was a willing fool. They were set up to do something very unpopular and then get thrown to the public to keep the farce going that the public have some sort of say in something. We have no say whatsoever. I said weeks ago that Jackie Smith, who was in charge of the British Homeland Security, basically the Home Office, who ran through so many unpopular policies that she did not come up with. She was told by her masters. I said, they'll throw her to the wolves. And I I knew because they were already exposing some of her private, basically, crookedness, crooked affairs, like diddling the tax man and so on, and claiming so much money for herself on her expenses. But they all do that. So why did they pick on her? 
Because once she's out of the way, everyone will sort of go back to sleep again thinking, I guess things are okay. Now, all the laws that were passed when she was there will stay on the books. And whoever takes over will carry them on just the same way. And they won't go into, if it's a guy, they won't go into his closet. That's what happens. They take people like this and bring them down after they've served their purpose. It says here's Jackie Smith. This is from, this is from um, the Telegraph. An ignominious end to an inglorious career. Whitehall sources tell us that Jackie Smith is to step down in a reshuffle expected next week. Let's face it, she will hardly be placed in the front rank of home secretaries. There'll be no litany of notable holders of the post that begins with Peel, proceeds through Churchill and Jenkins, and continues with Smith. As the occupant of one of the great offices of state, Jackie Smith's two years as Home Secretary have been a lamentable failure. Then it goes on to try and explain why. As I say, believe you me, if she had been groomed to really stay up there, she could have ripped off the public a thousand times over, and the media would never have given you a whiff of it. That's how it really is in the real world. Now, we've all heard about big GMO business and the, the chemical industries that go along with it. And it's all part, I've gone through the, some of the histories of some of them, they're all part of the big, the big military-industrial complex. And about a year ago, I read about thousands of Indians killing themselves uh, because they were losing their farms, literally, to basically United Nations organizations, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, etc., that puts them all into debt, tells them, of course, gives them loans they can't repay, um, and brings in up-to-date farming, in other words, chemical farming, and then they have to go to cap and hand to their masters and get the GMO seed because the Terminator gene was ensured they could not save the seed from every crop. They should go back to the masters every year. And this is at the same time, of course, that Evelyn de Rothschild and co. were taking over these farms as the guys were killing themselves off. Thousands of suicides. This has all worked out in advance. And this is an article from Michael Chusadovsky to do with India. It says, the reality for the average Indian remains the same agricultural cultivation with its historical practices, values, and communal settlements of respect, a cultivation as the basically the roots of the country. Uh, it says here, farming for Indians is not only the source of income, it's the source of culture and identity. Indian governmental officials have willfully compromised the settlement for the Bright Lights Association. After over a decade of trade liberalization and free market reforms, now that was, this was rammed on them through the United Nations, the trade liberalization and free market reforms. In other words, globalization, allowing foreigners to come in with the pharma businesses, the chemical businesses, and the, the agribusiness. It says, mainstream economic development uh, had to fend for itself amidst great levels of industrialization and growth. The vast majority of Indians have, been, have, put, have had in the past as the primary source of livelihood for some 70% of them. Consider the fact that only 1% of Europeans derive their livelihood from agriculture, this is a huge level of dependence. So 70% of them in India depend on agriculture. India's desire to become a member of the World Trade Organization and the adoption of the, it's a hard, it's like for me to see, it's too widespread, of the
the trade relations uh, intellectual property, TRIPs, specifically has compromised the livelihood of farmers with adoption of policies. The sovereignty of rural India has been threatened. TRIPs in particular has created a, a gateway for agro-businesses, foreign ones, of course, to come in, engage in biopiracy and GM seed monopolization, effectively marginalizing rural communities, etc., etc., etc. But this goes into the next one, to do with the massive carbon tax scam that's happened in India, again, from the United Nations and its London boss. Back with more after these messages. some of the problems that India is having. You know, whenever they claim they're going to help third world countries, I, I really gag because they've destroyed so many third world countries. And, well, they'll always reap profits out of it as they're doing it. But it's through the United Nations now. The United Nations is such an amazing organization that very few people speak about. They read about it all the time, but they don't really know exactly what it is. They think it's some kind of negotiating place and that was the propaganda that they used when they set it up. Where different leaders would go from different countries and settle their differences. In actual fact, it is a super-government, supra-government. It's above government, but it's also a private corporation. And this strange negotiating place it also has a World Bank under it. It's going to be the, the distributor of all currency for the planet. That's what it's deemed to be. That's what it's set up to be. It also has a department to deal with every facet of your life in every single country. Most of the laws that have been passed through your books in every country for the last 30 years have come initially from the United Nations, this private organization. You see, in reality, socialism was never decided, it was never um, deemed to be for the public. Socialism is to be a world run by experts, therefore it would be privately owned. Democracy was to go out after it had been used to con the people. Now, I've read about that before, even from the Club of Rome. There's an article here bringing in the United Nations and one of its great cons as well from the Mail Online. It's called The Great Carbon Credit Con. Why are we paying the third world to poison its environment? They tells you about this place in India and the fields around this giant chemicals factory in Gujarat, the barren soil smells of paint stripper and the water from the well makes you gag. So why has it been given tens of millions of pounds of taxpayer-funded United Nations green reward points? Now, number one, what's the UN doing, dishing, getting money from us and dishing it out anyway? It's a private organization. Think about that. Then it says, which are traded hungrily on the financial markets at huge profits. So these green reward points or carbon trading points are, are traded by the big boys and, and they're raking in profits. Well, guess who's paying for all that? You boys at the bottom. This is by Nadine Guri, 1st of June 2009. All these links will be up on my site at the end of the show. It tells you about the farmers, faces wizened, brown from ours in the harsh Gujarati sun, 
lower a bucket into a well, solid brick cylinder, 100 feet deep, sun is high, etc., etc. They're giving you the usual visual stuff. And then they draw it up, and it smells again like, well, paint thinner, basically. And the water all around that region and this factory smells the same way. This has happened all over India, by the way. Most of the freshwater wells are all poisoned now, thanks to the United Nations and all these great scams and schemes. They're not stupid at the top. Always keep that in mind. She says, we can't irrigate our crops with this. She says, it's the water of death that kills most crops to put in. And then he goes on down the page to start explaining what's actually happened. It says, but this, is, this is more than a tale of big business versus poor farmers in the third world. GFL is part of a worldwide, this is the factory, a worldwide carbon trading scheme centered in London, the city, of course, which is supposed to be helping to save the planet from global warming. On paper, the scheme, which was ratified under the Kyoto Agreement and supervised by the United Nations, looks like an efficient way to cut global carbon emissions. However, a live investigation has exposed a series of major failings and loopholes in the scheme. Four years ago, GFL installed technology to reduce the greenhouse gases it produces and was given vast financial reward by the United Nations. As I say, what the heck are they dealing with this in the first place, this negotiating group, supposedly? A UK company was also given considerable sums for investing in the project. However, far from being a flagship green factory, GFL stands accused of poisoning the local environment. Our own extensive tests by an independent laboratory showed dangerous contaminants in land and water around the factory, chemicals that match these pollutants introduced by GFL. Interviews with the people living nearby revealed their livelihoods and health have been severely affected. We found that the auditors who were supposed to verify the carbon savings were paid for by the GFL themselves. So the inspectors are GFL. A stipulation of the scheme and they checked only for greenhouse gases caring little about other pollution. In a further ironic twist, we discovered that GFL used some of the money it gained from the United Nations to build a factory making Teflon and caustic soda. Both processes are massively polluting. Meanwhile, in the UK, one of our biggest industrial companies is able to claim it has offset its own pollution by supporting GFL. Boy, they never never fail at the top, eh? One massive con after another. And all these greenies thinking we're going to save the planet by global carbon taxing. The fools, eh? The fools. They always... So many fools, you know. You always got to have fools to follow to make something work. Yet it remains ob- oblivious to and unconcerned about the serious accusations being made against the Indian factory. This is only one across the whole of India. These hypocrisies aren't isolated GFL. The United Nations Carbon Offsetting Scheme is filled with similar examples of companies with poor environmental and human rights records being financially rewarded. As you dig below the surface, it would appear that the United Nations program with backing and finance from Britain is as polluted as the questionable companies it chooses so generously to reward. I'll be back with more of this con game after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
This is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading an article about the con game of carbon trading, basically. It's a fantastic scheme because you're, you're trading invisibilities across the planet. Nothing's really. Huge bags of air, in a sense. It's too outside of the concrete way of thinking that we have to even comprehend. That's why they're doing it. It's, it's a wonderful scam. Beautiful scam. And it will also regulate trade. You see, they don't want new businesses coming up from the bottom. They'll get hammered with carbon taxes. That is the socialist way. Remember, government is to control everything, eventually. That is the Fabian mandate. To stop you people coming up that haven't been authorized. It says, in the middle of the city of London is a large, anonymous-looking building, home to the European Climate Exchange. Now, I should say at the beginning of this, too, last year it mentioned that the European Climate Exchange Commission handed out to the big multi-billionaire international corporations millions of pounds worth of free stock in this carbon that they could exchange amongst them. And they're trading it already before it even started, making profits off it, believe it or not. It's all a big racket. It said about 98% of the carbon emissions trading in Europe is done in this office. 98%. Billions go through there. With more than 25 million tons of carbon traded daily. Can you believe this? 20 million tons of nothing is traded daily. This is better than the stock market. That was also a casino, a coin game. Regulated and run by a few at the top. Last year, this market was worth 80 billion pounds worldwide and it's set to grow to £97 billion this year, despite the recession. Chief Executive Patrick Burley meets us in the glass panel reception. He points out where climate protesters camped on the ground, the doorstep during the G20 protests in March. I care just as passionately about saving the planet as they do, he says, but the difference is that I believe in, in environmentalism and capitalism, and they can converge. See? Inside his office, the trading screen flashes with yellow, red, and green figures. In the office next door, traders bash the phones doing deals for clients all over the world. It's no different to any other business trading floor, except no one here is selling an actual commodity. Isn't that beautiful? It's worth billions of pounds. There's nothing there. (laughs) Here, traders sell our planet's future, and you better believe they do. Our planet's future in the form of carbon credits. Because that's going to bring us all down, all of us down, under a multitude of laws. These are part of international attempts to limit greenhouse gases as UN attempts, and each credit represents a ton of CO2. Utter farce. Companies that cut their emissions gain credits. If, on the other hand, they exceed their quotas, they have to acquire credits. The credits are traded on markets such as the ECX, and have become such an established part of the financial world that trading involves Europe's biggest banks, of course they do, including RBS and Barclays. Until the global slowdown, carbon was one of the most profitable commodities. Of nothing, remember. Nearly doubling in value between 2007 and 2008. Thanks to the Greenies, eh? Thanks to the Greenies. But who owns the Greenies and all these organizations? Who are the people at the top? Remember the Soviet system, that other socialist system that we're now copying? The NGOs, Soviet men ruled by councils, NGOs, that supposedly were amongst the people. 
but the leaders were appointed by the Politburo in the West and the Fabian system, the big foundations, the parallel government, you see, appoints them and funds them to demand the government do something about this and that, and the government guys come out only too happily because they were waiting for the demand. They both work for the same boss, you see. That's the reality of the world we live in. That's it. This article here, remember Kofi Annan? Remember we had Boutros, Boutros Galley, so great, named him twice at the United Nations. Then we had Kofi Annan. Well, he's still at it yet, even though he's out at the United Nations. And he's still pushing this greening agenda. You see, this is the, the chant, the mantra, they're indoctrinating all the youth with today because they must truly really believe in it to save the world, to bring in this wonderful socialist organized society. This is what he says in a newspaper here, the telegraph.co.uk. Kofi Annan, 300,000 people die every year from climate change. And the journalist here, uh, James Dinglepole, says nonsense in big letters, June the 1st, 2009. 300,000 people are already dying every year as a result of global warming according to the most comprehensive report ever on the human impact of climate change. It was reported last week, a claim made by a think tank called the Global Humanitarian Forum, set up by the extravagantly besuited ex-UN chief Kofi Annan. You knew it was nonsense. I knew it was nonsense. But what we needed was an expert to come along and explain in proper scientific terminology exactly why it was a ludicrous frago of unmitigated tosh and drivel. And now one has stepped forward Roger Pialki, Jr., a political scientist at the University of Colorado, Boulder, who specializes in precisely the area covered by the report, disaster trends. Pialki was in no mood for taking prisoners. The Global Humanitarian Forum's report, he says, is a methodological embarrassment and poster child of how to lie with statistics. And he adds, the report is worse than fiction, it's a lie. Gilkey goes on to explain why the GHF report was based on analysis done by a group, GeoRisks of Munich Re. He'd worked with earlier this year at an international workshop of climate change and natural catastrophe losses. At this workshop, it was concluded that, due to data quality issues, the stochastic nature of the extreme event impacts, the length of the time series, and the various societal factors present in the disaster loss records, it is still not possible to determine what portion of the increase in damage may be due to climate changes caused by GHG emissions and the quantitative link between storm, flood, and loss trends and GHG-induced climate changes is unlikely to be determined unequivocally in the near future. In other, I'm really reading this fast because there's so much here. In other words, all the world's experts in the field, including the report's authors, concluded that there is as yet no quantifiable correlation between global warming and natural disasters. Indeed, they believe there is probably no connection whatsoever. The report, he says, is based on a very strange comparison of earthquake and weather disasters in 1980 and 2005. The first question that comes to mind is why? And then they go through all the different reasons for it and so on, including a lot of the areas where there's, there's been floods and people lost their lives. This is because 
They've built places now in floodplains. They never used to. That's happened in places in the U.S. as well, as local government, this corrupt anyway, takes bribes from the big contractors and deregulates land for building. The same has happened in Canada alongside rivers. And then when you get the first big flood, away go the houses, and it's a disaster. You don't build in these areas. They're doing that now. He goes through all the reasons why. And then he points out why Kofi Annan is prattling on with all this hype and nonsense and the reasons behind it. Now, what are the reasons behind it? What are they really? Well, remember the Club of Rome, that one of the premier think tanks. That's how it's built, the premier think tank. And I've quoted this before from their book, The First Global Revolution, written by the two founders of the Club of Rome itself. Alexander King is one he saw on the go, and Bertrand Schneider. And they were given the task by the big globalist elite to find a way to make a war situation worldwide, something because under war, they said that humanity came together, accepted massive authority from the government. Government could expand over different areas. That's what they do in wartime. And the people will accept it. We'll even go into rationing if need be, etc., etc. So what would unite humanity and that would allow humanity to be mastered by experts? And here's what they said in their own book that was written in the 1970s. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. I'll read that again for the harder thinking. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution... The idea, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. So the purpose was to find a new enemy to unite them, right? All these dangers are caused by human intervention and it's only through changed attitudes and behavior, behavior modification, right, that they can be overcome. So then... The real enemy, they said, is humanity itself. And that's exactly the ploy they're using today. And that fits right in with that, that other article I just read from Kofi Annan. They're still at it with this hype and making a killing in profit along with it and suppressing brand new small businesses at the bottom because they don't want a growing small business economy in this new world order. Margaret Thatcher talked about that. Too untidy. Not so easily to control, you see. Now, <clears throat> since 2001, going along with this whole agenda, you think about all the things that are happening. We're trying to save the planet at the same time that the world suddenly got into a state of, of worldwide terrorism. And the suspects, Al-Qaeda, have morphed into white people and blue-eyed people and all kinds of people, according to all the PR put out by the top characters that run all the police and military establishments and the security establishment, the spooks, in other words, the spy community. So everyone potentially is a suspect. Therefore, everyone's got to get searched, poked, prodded, have their cavities searched and all the rest of it, wherever they're going, and all of their mail monitored, their phone calls, faxes, and email, etc., to keep the world safe. As we're getting hammered with global warming nonsense to change the world again, 
And new Ayutthaya society supposedly will come out at the end of this. That's what it's all about. A new socialist society where you have a world authority, one single world authority, and that's what the United Nations was set up to be. A world authority, the world authority, eventually being in charge of all the world's food, in fact, and the administration of doling out the food to each nation or state, as they like to call it, or region, with the intent in their own charter to reduce the population by not upping the quota the nations would have to find or implement policies to depopulate. And I'll guarantee you they'll set up a certain figure and after two or three years it was not enough food but they cut it even more. And that's how they plan to bring down the population. It's in their own charter. The speeches are up there by their ministers of agriculture, etc., etc., at the United Nations. But they say, meanwhile, everyone, according to Kissinger, when he defined what terrorism was, in a speech in Europe, he says, what we mean in America by terrorism and terrorists, he says, terrorists are those people who will not go along with the new world order. And what I've just explained to you is the new world order. A world run by experts and massive government. From cradle to grave, that's what it is, the Fabian system. Born in London, England. This article here is from the Register. Britain leads the world in police state survey. They did a, a survey to see who had the most for police state. And where else would it be? Britain leads the world in police state survey. 1st of June 2009. Posted first in policing it says here, a recent survey from Internet Security Consultancy CryptoHippy suggests that the UK is setting the pace in at least one area, as many areas, even the carbon trading is based on the city of London. The city is sovereign, remember. It's a country within a country. Though being classified as the West's most repressive regime that comes to electronic surveillance might not be a title that this government is entirely happy to wear. This result emerges from CryptoHippie's recently published Electronic Police State 2008. There's a PDF, and I'll put the link for the PDF with all the survey on my site at the end of the show. But to continue, it says, This is the first in what it are intended to be a series of annual reports that will audit the state use of electronic technologies to record, organize, search, and distribute forensic evidence against its citizens. The audit focuses on 17 factors ranging from requirement to produce document on demand through to the extent to which states force ISPs and phone companies to retain data, the blurring of boundaries between police and intelligence work, and ultimately the breakdown of the principles of habeas corpus. A simple five-point scoring system is used for each factor with results totaled to produce an overall score. Some 52 major states are looked at with final ranking apparently influenced by two quite different factors. On the one hand, states that are simply repressive are likely to score highly, and they do. The top four places in the survey occupied by China. Remember, China, according to the United Nations, is the model state for the world, the model state that we've all to copy. Secondly is North Korea, and it's Belarus and Russia. However, electronic policing also requires some degree of technological sophistication, so it is not surprising to find the UK dropping in at number five, 
and the US at number six. France and Germany arrive a few places below that. This result echoes warnings issued repeatedly by Lords and the Information Commissioner, most recently in an official report last month, that Britain is slowly sleepwalking towards becoming a surveillance society. It's not going towards it. It is one. Equally predictable was the government response that it takes all such criticism seriously and needs to strike a balance. They said that every year since they started it, years ago. However, as both CryptoHippie and other government critics have argued, the government response is disingenuous, relying on a rejection of straw men rather than engaging with genuine fears. The report expands on its subject. Thus, the usual image of a police state includes secret police dragging people out of their homes at night with scenes of Nazi Germany or Stalin's USSR. The problem with these images is that they are horribly outdated. Now, remember this part. See, they want you to think that. That's how it is. See, that's how things worked during your grandfather's war. That's not how things work now. An electronic police state is quiet. It's unseen. All of its legal actions are supported by abundant evidence. It looks, it looks pristine. What they mean is to the law court. They can set you up for anything, depending on the data and how they rig the data together and in what order. That's why it will work. Then they'll raid you, just like Nazi Germany. And the people around you in your street will think, well, I guess you did something wrong. That's what they did in the Soviet system. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Now, this got time for a caller, and this got Sam from Sydney, Australia. Here, you there, Sam? Hey, Alan. How are you? I'm hanging in as always by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> Mate, hang on in there, man. You're doing good work. Um, mate, I mean, where do I start? I mean, this global warming thing is such a scam, and they're just marching forward. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, they should really just go out there and just do polls and see how much trouble they're, you know, how much in trouble they are. There are so many people who just think it's such a scam. Yes, I, I mean, know. fair, fair bit. There's a lot of people that still think it's real, but well, it's geez, all it's it's, true. You see that. There literally are, we're bypassing uh, the adults altogether before the public even heard of this and indoctrinating children in kindergarten for years to make sure a generation will grow up thoroughly uh, true believers uh, to be the new green police. And that's happening at an, at an increasing pace all over. The, this is propaganda indoctrination. Now, it's, it's amazing how much they indoctrinate the kids at all. There's this, I, I don't know if you've seen this thing that's been on the web in terms of... Um, you know, toys, what type of toys they're making for our kids. There's this guy that's, you know, he's not, by no means, I don't think this guy has anything to do with, you know, the truth movement or anything else. He's just reviewing toys. And, you know, they're quite funny. Some of the toys he reviews are fail toys. Mm-hmm. And you look at these fail toys and you just think, what were they thinking? In fact, he actually says, what are they thinking? Like the Pez gun. Now, this, this is something that I remember from my childhood. They made a, a like a, a Pez dispenser in the shape of a gun, yeah. where you basically had to point this gun into your mouth and shoot yeah. shoot a Pez into your mouth. That's right. I mean, what is that teaching kids? I mean, the, the amount of sexualized toys. I mean, some of these toys you just look at and you just think, what is going on? Yeah. That is in 
the, molded on, in the shape of a human genital. That's right, and there's no, and there's no mistake. There's no mistake whatsoever. You go into children's... Watch a, a day of children's cartoons, and you'll see what they're being indoctrinated. Every story... Now, remember, these authors are paid to write these stories with these little spins in them of environmentalism, the greening, how the older folk are bad, how they've destroyed the planet... He would, I'll go out there talking to young children. I've got it on my site. He tells them, you know things your parents don't know. And it's up to you to take over, basically. I mean, they've the bypassed uh, the adults completely. The adults don't even know what's going on. They have no idea what's going on. No, no and it's interesting. I think, you know, any, anyone that's got, you know, any, you know, any time to actually go onto a YouTube channel and just type in failed toys, and this guy comes up and just goes, goes through some of the toys, like the Tarzan toy or the Dora the Explorer toy and this Pez gun. I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, I showed a friend of mine, um, <clears throat> an Italian friend, who. It's, it's funny, this, this Italian friend of mine who I spoke to about the New World Order and, and the elites, he thought I was completely crazy. Mm-hmm. He thought I was, I was completely crazy. Until I, until I found, until I started actually talking to the, to him in terms of the mafia, he's like, oh yeah, the mafia. I'm like, well, have you heard of P2 in, in your country? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, P2, yeah, his grandfather was one of the journalists involved with P2, it turned yeah. out. Yeah. And this guy's thinking I'm crazy because I'm talking about Illuminati. It just turned out to be basically semantics. That's right, it's all semantics, exactly. That's why they always use the word Illuminati to make it sound ridiculous. But in fact, it's the same darn thing. Everyone in any one of these organizations is technically uh, illumined because they've been brought into the secrets. That's what it really means. They know the light. The rest of the people are still in the darkness, and by God, most are, unfortunately. Well, I think there's, there's a lot more people that know about them now. I mean, there's probably a lot more inform- misinformation, but there's, certainly people are waking up, so yeah. good news. But they better wake up really fast now and start taking over the lives of their children again because the indoctrination they're getting at schooling and through everything, all the authors that are paid to write the books on environmentalism are going to do us all in. But that's the end of the show. And so I hear the music coming in. So from Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.